Welcome to Are We There Yet? Transport into the Future. This is a series of programs that look at current issues and developments and what they mean for the transport we need, we want and what we can supply in the future. These programs are written and presented by David Brown. Not long ago, we had another federal government budget. And like practically all budgets, the public discussion of the transport component focused on the total allocation of funds and a few big projects. The full budget papers actually listed a wider range of transport projects, but these are details that are not going to be part of the public debate. The budget was symbolic to the extent that it showed that the federal government is prepared to give more money to public transport initiatives. But a budget like this does little to send the message about the need for structural reform. The same applies with medical funding. It is not enough to just say the government has increased the funding level and they are going to build a few big showcase infrastructure projects like the occasional hospital. Some new hospitals are undoubtedly necessary, but governments, medical practitioners and the public will have to come to grips with the fact that we need to work out some areas where we can still provide a good service, but without spending as much money. Professor McHill Bleemer is Professor in Transport and Logistics Network Modelling at the University of Sydney's Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies. I caught up with Professor Bleemer and asked him about the need for a road user tax as a policy initiative in order to acquire funds but also affect transport demand. Well, first of all, I wouldn't call it a tax because tax is a very negative word, so that's also not good for, for getting it accepted by people, you should more see it as that you're paying for something that is of benefit to you. So you pay for something, but hopefully you'll get something in return as well. And currently, if you are on the roads and stuck in congestion, um, you're paying in travel time. So maybe it takes you now 30 minutes and using user pays and having more efficient ways of spreading the traffic over the whole network during different times you can actually decrease the travel time for the people. So you're actually paying for a service. It's not just a general tax, it's a a specific payment to get a specific benefit. Yes, so we see it usually as you get a benefit out of it as well. But on the other hand, of course, you do have the, um, the, the funding model. So some toll roads are specifically designed to, to generate revenues. But that's not necessarily the only goal of, of user charging. Usually congestion charging is to decrease congestion. And that is not for for funding the the road system. In fact, the toll systems we have at the moment to pay for specific projects are really charging people a high price for using the road, if they're going to use the road at all, using the road that we want them to use. We want them to go on a bypass road or a road that's not going through residential or commercial areas, Mm -hmm. yet we charge them a very high amount to go on that road and make it no direct charge to go on the road we don't want them to go on. Yes, so that that may seem counterintuitive, but that's because the goal of these toll roads are are different. So they're not to just uh, decrease the congestion. They're essentially to create the, the revenues for the investors. So because roads are so expensive, we usually need to have private investors to to come on board and they want something in return. And that's what usually is that toll. They pay for part of the construction of the roads. They want to see a funding coming back in terms of tolls. 
And that is not necessarily the goal of minimizing congestion. That's more maximizing the revenues for them. There's a whole issue there on whether we implement transport in order to just achieve a financial goal versus other goals such as equity and function of the city. That's right. So usually when we think of user charging system or road pricing reform in general, the very first thing you do is think about what is the goal? What do we want to achieve? Is it financing the road infrastructure or is it decreasing congestion or is it maximizing equity? So that goal underlying determines what in the end the the road pricing structure looks like. How would this work? You would charge per kilometer? Is that the general vision? If you talk to different transport economists, they usually share the idea that paying for what you're using is, is the best model. And that would mean then in most cases a charge per kilometer, but that's not necessarily the same charge throughout the day. So it could be that you have to pay more per kilometer in busy areas or during the peak periods, whereas it's cheaper to travel outside the peak periods because there's less congestion. So you're contributing less to the travel time of, of other people. The ability to be able to do that relies on technology. Are we near to being able to implement a system? I think Singapore is. Would it work in, say, Australian capital cities? Well, that's a very interesting topic because definitely the technology is there and can be done. So, for example, Singapore has, has a history. But in Germany, the whole country, all the trucks there have a GPS device on board and they pay per kilometer. So the technology is there, but it is not necessarily the cheapest way to do it. And it's not necessarily the most accepted way of doing it. The problem is that people are very worried about privacy, even though it's not a concern at all. So people think when they put a GPS device in their car, they're being tracked, they can see where they're driving and people don't like that for privacy reasons. However, what you can easily do is some of these devices are very, very simple. All they can do is store the number of kilometers. So they know where you're driving and where you're driving, but it doesn't store any locations. It only stores the number of kilometers driven in certain areas. And it only transmits, for example, um, one number to the government. So it only states at the end of the month, you've driven so many kilometers. And this is what you're paying. So there is not really a privacy issue for GPS, but it is still maybe not the simplest solution you can come up with. So other solutions could be just looking at your odometer. So how many kilometers has somebody driven? And that's what they're doing in Oregon in the US. Which they're doing at a very low rate. Australians have a levy on petrol and registration. Is the levy on petrol a surrogate for that? And are we being charged a lot in revenue that we're taking from the motorists? If you compare Australia to other countries, then Australia pays very little. So if you compare it to Europe, the uh, fuel excise taxes and the uh, registration fees for, for cars are much, much lower here. The only country that's in the Western world that is lower than Australia is the US. The US has much lower taxes but that also comes back in very little revenues and less money for for road maintenance and construction. So I would say that in Australia, we actually pay very little. If you want to have a good transport system, maybe we need to consider paying more, like in Europe. On the other hand, these systems is not really a replacement necessarily for petrol taxes because petrol is a fixed amount you pay for a certain kilometer. But the main power you can do with, for example, a GPS device or a very simple device that only times how many kilometers you drive per period is the peak spreading. There may not be sufficient 
supply of road infrastructure during the peak period, but there's definitely still supply in the off-peak. So what we've done in the Netherlands, for example, is we rewarded people instead of we taxed people. So we gave people three to five euros a day if they were driving outside the peak periods. And we had thousands of people participating. They volunteered and they put a GPS device in the car. And they actually did change, like 30% of the people changed their departure time to very early in the morning or sometimes after the peak period in the morning to avoid the peak period and to collect the five euros a day. It's not necessarily the amount of the money, it's almost just the incentive, the feeling that I'm actually benefiting from doing something that is ultimately good for the whole community. But that's one way of looking at it. Most people are seem to, do seem to be quite sensitive to the money aspect. So when, we, when, for example, in the Netherlands, we stopped the rewarding scheme, some people did feel that at 6 o'clock leaving in the morning or earlier than 6 o'clock, they did get a lot of gain from travel time and they kept driving very early in the morning. But most people, when we stopped um, providing a monetary incentive, they went back into the peak period. So people do seem to be quite sensitive to a monetary reward or, or, or a tax. It doesn't necessarily need to be very high. It needs to be visible. So we usually call it out-of-pocket costs. So whenever you pay per day or pay per kilometer and it is visible, you consider it in your travel behavior. If you only put the fuel in your car once a month, then it is only visible once a month and then you're driving and you think it doesn't cost anything. So by making it visible, you already can, can achieve a lot. I had an old professor of transport who said that the cost of a half a kilogram of butter if you drove to the local shops was incredibly expensive, not because of the cost at the shop, but because of the cost of the travel, starting up a car and driving it. In some ways, this is what you're saying, this puts a specific cost at the time you're actually using the service. Yes, because then you consider it in making your decisions, yes. With modern technology, it'd be wonderful to be able to perhaps think of a million ways you'd like to adjust behaviour, not only travelling in the peak, but perhaps not travelling on local streets and a whole range of things you might consider. Yet, I think you've said you've got to keep the system simple. Yes. So um, what happened, for example, in the Netherlands when I was still living there, they proposed a nationwide system for for road pricing, a kilometre-based charge. Everybody was going to get a GPS device in their car since they cannot build it in for so many millions of cars all at the same time. It was going to be staggered over multiple years. It was a huge system. And then essentially the cost of the system was so high that the revenues was actually very little. So you do not want that the cost of the system in the end will outweigh the revenue. So you want to keep the system simple. You want to keep also the system simple so you can easily explain it to people. You want to take away any privacy concerns because you want it to get it uh, accepted. And acceptability is, is the main problem in, in user-pay systems. People find it usually not accept- acceptable, even though a lot of people will probably pay less if they drive uh, less. So it's not necessarily you pay more, but the perception usually is it is considered a extra tax. And that's what we try to explain every time. It's not a tax. It's We calculated that if we were going to do introduce congestion charging or even kilometer charging in Sydney, 
uh, 62% of the people actually pay less because they, pay, they, they drive less than average. The trouble is with the media, of course, is the one person who pays more will make the front page. I understand that, and I, I understand that we've got to bring it in in a manner that says this is not going to be a huge tax hike. Its not, intent is not to raise huge amounts of money, but first and foremost to affect behaviour. Yes. So, so the main problem that usually politicians have, and also the general public, is, is equity. So we do know that uh, usually people who, who have lower income, they often live far, further away from, from where the jobs are. For example, in Sydney, the jobs are in the CBD, and the people living out far west, they have to drive further or to travel further to their jobs. So we are aware that, that they are in, being impacted more as well than maybe some others. So these equity issues are actually the hardest ones to solve, and you probably want to have something in place to not affect these these low-income groups too much. And I think that's the real challenge, to come up with a system that is acceptable by the people, has sufficient equity, and still raises sufficient revenues for, for maintaining the roads and maybe even road construction. Professor Mikhail Bleemer is Professor in Transport and Logistics Network Modelling at the University of Sydney's Institute of Transport and Logistics Studies. Are we there yet? Transport into the Future is produced by Driven Media. Driven Media specialise in communicating technical and scientific information to professionals and the public and also facilitates planning and behaviour change in groups and organisations. You can send comments or suggestions to feedback at drivenmedia.com.au. All the participants have agreed to the recording and distributing of their comments.